Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. All right, I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. Can you, uh, in a few sentences, tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. My name is Paul Lopashinsky. I run a company called Playficient. And what I do is I help organizations, you know, look beyond the bull and focus on what really matters in the employee experience. So some of the ways I do that is through creating employee better employee onboarding experiences, uh, using design thinking from the employee experience, uh, using employee journey mapping and storytelling to build out better employee experiences and creating more playful cultures that don't rely on just, you know, the ping pong tables, uh, the kindergarten office or the kombucha on tap. Uh, and I know in your intro there, what was it? There was, you had unlimited PTO and what was the other thing it mentioned? Dogs in the office. Okay. Dogs in the office. Yeah. That's a big um, one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of looking beyond those, you know, typical Silicon Valley perks to keep people in the office. It's showing companies how they could look beyond that. Uh, Absolutely. And that's a big part of the play on my theme with snack walls that, you know, you've got to do more than snack walls. Um, But let's dig in. So I'm hearing from some leaders in tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts about diverse talent? Sure. So when it comes to uh, like diverse talent, I I don't focus a whole lot on what I do, but I guess someone recently pointed out, like I, I do more from what's called a cognitive uh, diversity perspective, like more how our minds think. Um, so I think one of the big things, if we're talking like, you know, let's just say your, your standard SaaS software company. Um, when we, you know, you talk the intro there, like the dogs in the office, I mentioned the ping pong tables and whatnot. I think one of the big things is uh, a lot of organizations when it comes to like the perks in the office, like the playful atmosphere of the office, they only really cater towards a few play personalities. Now there's this, this whole concept of play personalities that there's eight of them. Um, and we could all have like a combinate. It's not like you're just one. It's not like Myers-Briggs where you just have oh, yeah. one personality. Um, where a lot of organizations only really cater towards one or two of them. Uh, and the main one being one of the play personalities is the competitive play personality. Companies are competitive by their very nature. So that's why you end up with offices, you know, with, you know, uh, the ping pong tables, foosball tables, uh, beer, five o'clock beer on Fridays. Um, And then, and I guess the big thing, the big issue also comes from that is a lot of um, organizations do uh, managed fun or, or forced fun, whatever you want to call it. And that's, that's like the biggest killer of, of creating like a fun, playful workplace is when management on high says, all right, we're going to do, you know, X, Y, Z, this optional event that you better be there because if you're not, you know, we'll use it against you in your performance reviews, or it feels like uh, you're not pulling your weight. There's a really interesting article I came across um, a few weeks ago. Uh, from Harvard Business Review, it took a look at this uh, white paper. And there's when it comes to employee engagement, uh, a lot of things organizations tend to overlook, and this comes more of the cognitive diversity aspect, is uh, engagement in, uh, in the workplace is about 50% variance is dependent on personality, um, as opposed to, you know, 100% comes from the office and the culture. 
Um, and, and what this article really breaks down is if you're looking to hire people who kind of meet that criteria of uh, workplace engagement, you know, the people who are resilient and, and are kind of always saying yes to things and following management, you're going to create like a very um, homogenous workplace where no one really thinks outside the box because the people who are uh, with the personalities who are maybe quote unquote not engaged, these are maybe people who are a little more, um, I guess the stereotypical ones, like maybe the the difficult creative individual or the difficult software developer, but who's really good at what they do. Uh, but because they don't, they have that personality shift, they might not look good on paper for the organization because it's like, oh, they're not going to really fit in our, in our culture and they won't be engaged. It's like, well, you have to understand that personality could be, you know, varies up to 50% of this. So you don't want to be ignoring these individuals who might be a little more uh, difficult or maybe not fall under the classical sense of engagement. Now, I'm not saying like you hire assholes or anything, but um, it's just that notion that that cognitive diversity is really important to get right. And also, you know, understanding in the workplace, as I mentioned with my big thing about creating playful workplaces is um, like the ping pong table and everything. Okay, that's fine, but you can't, it can't be like the only thing in your office. You have to look at these uh, eight play personalities. And <laughs> I'll try and name them all. I It comes from, I'll, I'll send some information later, but the it comes from Dr. Stuart Brown, who's like, foremost expert in research and the eight play personalities are, I'll probably forget one as I'm listing them here. Uh, there's the Joker, uh, there's the kinesthete, uh, competitor, uh, the explorer, the director, the artist slash creator, the collector and the storyteller. Okay. I got, I got all eight of them. So, and I could give you information more of what those consist of, but but typically organizations really only uh, appeal to the competitor and maybe the kinesthete I find at some paces, you know, like maybe a meditation room or in office yoga. Uh, but what's been really good about one of those be weird benefits of COVID is companies have gone to think outside the box of what to do for fun. And a lot of that has also been getting suggestions from employees. And a lot of it has become more employee driven as opposed to management on high which can result in enforced funds. So I'm hoping when things return to normal-ish, whatever that may be, that uh, organizations can really see like offering that diversity of things to drive up engagement uh, doesn't get lost in the shuffle if, if things return to the office. Absolutely. So in terms of acquiring talent, because that's awesome when you have mm -hmm. that kind of environment, people I think sometimes want to desire, you know, to be in those environments. Um, we sometimes are, you know, excluding some candidates and a lot of that's based on things like the requirement for CS degree. So sure. what are your thoughts around, you know, removing that as a requirement to get into some of these great shops? Sure. Yeah. No, I've, in the past, I've, uh, I've worked with people who didn't have like the traditional, you know, degrees and whatnot, and they were fantastic. They were more, uh, they had skin in the game, right. It's, as opposed to reading textbooks and spending time in school, they were, putting together websites or various apps or, or various projects. Um, so yeah, I, I've always felt that, and not even just in like computing science. I mean, other, some areas, okay. I, I'm not saying like medical doctors per se should be, sure. uh, but 
there's definitely a lot of other fields like white collar positions in the in the workplace that could definitely uh, I see benefit from that that notion that you don't need. I mean, degrees are fun, right? Yeah, I learned a lot of great stuff in my degree, and, and definitely I know people who've done computing science degrees or engineering degrees have learned quite a bit. Um, but they've shown like they've put the time into like you know building stuff, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, and has something they could go and show an employer as opposed to like, oh, here's a piece of paper I got. I'm all for that. Like I would, uh, assuming they're like, they were the right fit. Otherwise, like they feel like personality wise and everything, you know, I, I would take the person who maybe if they're a high school dropout, if they had all these various projects that they've worked on in software development, as opposed to someone who's, you know, graduated from this very fancy school with a nice CS degree, but they maybe have like a class project to show you, but nothing really else. Right. What about um, uh, an apprenticeship pattern? It sounds like you would be an advocate or think uh, apprenticeship patterns would work for tech roles. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean that the, the whole apprenticeship model, like that's been used what for thousands of years, right? If you look throughout history and it for, for good reason, like it, it worked. So um I don't see like any reason like why it cannot work for for something like software development or just a lot of fields in general. Um, I mean, of Absolutely. course, that that requires a lot of um, <laughs> overcoming uh, bureaucracies, I guess, and and you know stuff that's been more ingrained. Like when when exactly did kind of the? I mean, I know the apprenticeship model still exists in a lot of areas, but. But for something like software development or, or love, you know, areas more like office jobs, like they could totally be beneficial from it, um, you know, to bring that back in. Because, I mean, it's like we've, we've used it as a society for thousands and thousands of years, right? Um, there shouldn't be any real reason, like, why we can't use it for something like software development. Except for the fact that it's kind of hard because, like, no one's been thinking about it. So that that part that you mentioned, the government and the bureaucracy – is definitely, I think, an impediment. And I'm hoping that, you know, we can establish a model at the Center of Code School and a playbook that we can hand off to other people to make it easier for them to replicate the same thing in their communities. Mm-hmm. And in that pattern as well, replicating that pattern for other types of skills and other types of trades sure, beyond yeah. the ones that we traditionally think about. So, yeah. And I mean, like it said, at the, uh, I mean, you'd have to change it up for, for each one, but I mean, like you could look throughout history to see examples of, the apprenticeship sure. model working. So, absolutely. So, I, I think you talked at length about like ways that we can have mm-hmm. great company cultures, and that would be one way to retain diverse staff. Mm-hmm. Are there any other ways that you'd suggest that people could, you know, retain diverse staff once they actually have them on board? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, one of my my other, you know, I was talking a lot about play playful cultures, yep. but another huge thing I focus on is, is employee onboarding because it's such a uh, you know, a key role to a, a quality onboarding experience can make the difference from from day one, week one. People are saying, "Okay, this is I made the right choice," as opposed Absolutely. to ones that are lackluster. It's like, uh, "Am I going to be looking for somewhere else within six months or or a year?" You know, and then that creates this whole issue of uh, you know companies if they're having a lackluster onboarding experience. You know, people are gone twelve to twenty four months, give or take. You know, they have to go through the process again of finding someone else to fill in the role. There's the brain drain. You know, you have to spend all this time finding someone. Then you have to pull people off projects to get the new person up to speed. Um, So I think 
yeah, if companies spend a lot of upfront time on onboarding, um, that's a huge way. And of course, not just building a one size fits all. Um, I, I know it's if you're a smaller company, it's easier to do, but there's ways to, you know, personalize that onboarding experience. And sure. um, I like to think of it as um, I use a food analogy for it. So like when it comes to onboarding, there's the main course. So everyone gets, it doesn't matter if they come in at a junior level, a senior level, it doesn't matter what department they come into, like what's something that everyone gets regardless, you know, for example, um, you know, company values, they go through that, but then you could get more specific. Like if they come in a software development role or marketing role, like what do they get that maybe someone from another department doesn't exactly need. And then you can even get more specific and that's kind of sitting down with them early on and trying to figure out like how, once they're working with you, right? Cause then you can sit down and have a good chat because it's like, all right, now they're hired. So they're going to give you, they'll give you different answers than like an interview, you know, when they're trying Absolutely. to get the job. Um, it's the way things go, but um, you could kind of determine like, what do they need to succeed? Like is, do they need strong mentorship? Are they someone who kind of, prepares just reading documentation and kind of likes to be left alone? Do they need a lot of hands-on? Um, so that's another way to really help kind of personalize uh, that experience. I like that. And, and then I guess another big thing is always iterating, like always finding ways to improve it. So, I mean, it's not like you, you build out an onboarding process. You're like, all right, never have to touch it again and everything. It's always, uh, you know, incrementally improving it, you know, using design thinking and, and it's finding out, uh, say those who recently went through the onboarding experience, it's like, all right, what, what worked for you and what didn't? Cause I, I've talked with organizations who people thought they knew what the process was, but they've been there for like five, six years and things changed a lot. So, so someone who, who's been there for six months had a completely different experience. And that person was like, Oh my God, I didn't realize this is actually what they're going through. We need to change this. Right. So I like the idea of that, like meeting people where they're at and providing a very customized experience or personalized experience mm -hmm. so that at the very beginning you're establishing, you're willing to invest in people early on. Sure. And I think they'll reciprocate and work real hard for you. So yeah. love a lot of what you've shared. So who is somebody like yourself that you would like to acknowledge as a leader and should be invited to be a guest on podcasts like sure. this? Yeah, well, because you're based off San Diego and he's based off San Diego. I have a good friend named Gary Ware. Uh, gosh, what's his company? He's going to kill me. <laughs> I should know the name of his company. I'm, I'm dropping a complete blank on it. That's right. Um, we'll get into the show notes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Gary Ware, no, he's, uh, he does a lot of like team building, like using improv uh, in the workplace. Nice. Um, that sounds fun. Oh, Breakthrough Play. Yeah, that's his company. <laughs> Breakthrough Play. I'm pretty sure that's the one. Um, cool. But yeah, he's, uh, I, he's been, in, I've known him for... I don't know, kind of two and a half years now. We've been like, no, maybe three years. And we've been like a mastermind group together. I've seen a few conferences together. Um, there's a lot of overlap with what we do, but he's, yeah, he's more about like, I'd say like the team building. Um, he's also working on some other interesting things. <laughs> I know he's working on something about like asshole managers, which I think is really hilarious because that's a, yep. a huge issue that organizations deal with. If you can name it, you can tame it, right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so where can we find us more information about your company? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, my website at Playficient. So that's P-L-A-Y-F-I-C-I-E-N-T. So that's combining the words play and proficient. Uh, if you look me up, uh, <laughs> my last name's a very tough, L-O-P-U-S-H-I-N-S-K-Y. 
Although I am the only one, uh, if you look me up, say on LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the best place to uh, uh, to find me. Yeah, that I, yeah, Twitter I don't really do a whole lot of. Uh, if you look me up on YouTube, I do have a few videos here and there. I want to get more consistent with that. Uh, I I'm do a lot on various like eight, like human resource people and culture Slack channels. That's where I'm fairly active on. I find as well. So, you know, hacking HR, uh, people geeks is another one. I'm fairly more, I'm more active on those channels I find as opposed to social media. Cool. So that's a great way for people to track you down. And again, I appreciate you coming on the program. I got one sure. last really tough question mm-hmm. for you. Um, <laughs> and that is what are you snacking on lately? What's your favorite snack? <laughs> Um, can I count sourdough bread as a snack? I mean, I don't really feel it as an, a yeah. meal. Yeah. Well, because it's, it's not really a meal. It's definitely something you can snack <laughs> on. I like that. Yeah. So, um, I, I know a lot of people over COVID have started to make sourdough bread and my mom yeah. started it and then she got me into it. Um, I've done it a bit though, but, uh, you know, it's been a, a nice thing to do and see how it's improved over time. Like, uh, the first time wasn't so good. Uh, yeah. but it's got better and better. Um, so that's been lately. Oh gosh, my favorite snack. Um, I'm a big fan of cliff bars. Um, <laughs> I guess some, if I'm thinking back more to my childhood, I really like gushers. Um, mm-hmm. uh, cheese strings were a big one as a kid as well. I, I mean, I haven't had those in a long time. Um, always like a classic chocolate bar, you know, Snickers, Mars bars is always really good. Nice. Um, all right, Paul, yeah. just, just one was all we asked for. Like, <laughs> now we know, now we know we have a true snacker in the house. So yes. <laughs> thanks again. I do really appreciate all the tips that you've given us and for sure. again, come on the program. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snackwalls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.org.